Hey everybody, it's Tim. Welcome or welcome back to the LOH Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, I ask you to please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and our YouTube channel, where you can access all our message content. Most importantly, I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in the faith journey. Enjoy. Today I want to talk about an idea about Jesus. I call it um, the Lord on the floor. And um, we'll unpack that as we go. Um, My heart uh, has been touched since the first part of the year, uh, for people that, who would say they've been through the mill, and that'd be an understatement, uh, people that are carrying burdens that are so heavy, it's like, um, it's like a millstone on your soul. Um, people who have lived in the aftermath of hardship in life, um, heartaches and hurts, and um, to the point where um, you can feel like uh, too afraid to hope again. But what I'm trying to say in these messages is the truth is, the truth is, is that to the degree of the intensity of our trauma draws the degree of the intensity of his attention to us. I know that's true. I don't know that in theory. I know that in fact. And I know that in experience. I want to share that with you. Um, Trauma comes because of sin. The effects of sins of others, the effects of our own sin, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are a few people in the world that are broken. There are broken people, broken things. Everything breaks eventually. Um, Trust can be broken. Innocence can be stolen. You can get hit with a health crisis that's beyond a crisis. It's a tragedy. Comes out of nowhere. There are things that have happened to people. Things that have happened to you, I'm certain came out of the blue, the tragic. I know people, and I've been in a camp at times in my life where you're going along, and then something happened that triggers something. And I'd say it like this, it, it brings up from the basement of your past things that you repressed your whole life, and then they're right there. I call it the residue and the wreckage where deeply embedded in in a life are the fear ofs, trust issues. Like Pilate, when uh, Jesus said to him, I was born for one purpose, to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? I used to not be able to identify with that. Now I feel a lot of empathy for Pilate. What is truth? Are you being told the truth on the news media? Well, yeah, because I watch CNN. Well, yeah, because I watch Fox and Schmocks. Or I watch Christian news. Trust what? Trust who? These are signs of things that have deeply gone past the surface of our souls. Where you have paradigm shifts, where your mental map and images and things you see and interpret come from the trauma, where you shift from the pain to live in the camp of the why. Why me? I was raised in church. I believe God. I prayed all the prayers. Why me? where we redefine ourselves, uh, We redefine the world. 
And then not only the why, but now the what. What now? What now? What could possibly God, what could God possibly do in my life now? And who am I? Am I this? Is this me? Is this my world? And who are you, God? I've sat with people, good people, love Jesus and say, you know, I was always taught that God would, I always heard and grew up in a church that let, set, what? Who are you, God, really? Trauma can define us and create concrete in which our progress stops. Doesn't look like on the outside, but on the inside. The progress of faith, the progress of love, the progress of taking risks, the progress of stepping out, the progress of stepping in, the progress of reaching out. What are the signs when we're on the bad road that is very broad and easy to be on when we've been traumatized. We can move away. We can shrink back and disappear. You can be in a crowd and be in a family and be in a church, be in the ministry, but disappear. He doesn't want that for you and me. We can move toward more of the same. There are people that will say, I don't know why, but I keep going toward the same cycles and the same things in attractions to the same type and it happens over and over again. He doesn't want that either. We can move against everything. We can fight everything. There are people literally burning things down, fighting on the streets, triggering manifestations of deep levels of gut-wrenching hate and bitterness toward, bam, triggered by somebody that has nothing to do with them but represents and reflects someone that did something to them. We can spend the rest of our life fighting it all. And he doesn't want that either. But the Bible tells us God goes first. It doesn't say in the beginning me, in the beginning you. It says in the beginning God. God first. He loved us first. We love him because he first loved us. Some of us just don't know how deeply. And he doesn't want that either. He comes to us first. He seeks us first. And he seeks us until he finds us. And he sees us. Remember the first week I preached to them, used the, the, the message where Jesus is looking out over the crowd and he sees them like sheep, harassed and helpless. And he says to his disciples, do you see what I see? I can't help all them by myself. The laborers are few and the hurting is massive. The first public message Jesus preached on the, on the mountain to a crowd of people who loved the God of Israel, the very first thing he said, he said, if you are lifeless and broken, if you are in absolute sorrow, you are positioned to receive the whole kingdom of God. You are in the right place at the right moment because God wants to bring deep comfort to you. First thing he said. He didn't say, you know why you are the way you are? 
He said, I see how you are and I'm here for you. God's word reveals his heart. I think of this in Jesus' heart. 600 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah captured the heart of God and heard God say these words in Isaiah. I think I have them on the screen or will. You let me know, I can't turn around. It's not a swivel. Here's what God says. For the high and exalted one who lives forever and ever, whose name is holy, says this. I live in a high and holy place. And then I love this next word, and. I live in a high and holy, and I live with the oppressed and lowly of spirit. I looked up that Hebrew idea. It's a picture of being pressed so much that you can't breathe anymore. You have no aspiration or inspiration. You have been pressed and you're low to the ground in the trauma of what's happened in your life. And God says, I want to live with you kind of people. Why? And you know, let's just put a marker in that. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, the Greek idea, the Aramaic wording that Jesus uses, poor in spirit means exactly the same thing, where you've been pressed that you can't breathe. You have no ability, you're, you're bankrupt in your ability to have aspiration, inspiration. Your breath is gone. You're positioned for me. He says, I live with you to revive the spirit, the breath of the lowly, and revive the heart of the oppressed. And then he goes on to say the next part. For I will, this is God. For I will not accuse you forever. <clears throat> and I will not always be angry. Why? For then the spirit would grow weak before me. Even the breath, you see that, which I have made. I have seen his ways, her ways, her ways, his ways. but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners. And then you don't have to work this up. If the best you had today in worship was just to be able to be here, your worship, and I don't, I don't say this to demean the expression that was here because I love the expression that's in the front. But if your worship could only bring you here, he accepted it as much as if you danced before him like the princess of Zion. Did you hear me right on that? Dance a jig before the Lord. You're welcome to do that here. For, I don't, you know. But I'm also here to say, if all you could do was barely breathe and you're here, he saw your worship. And he creates words of praise. You don't have to work them up. The Lord says, peace, peace to the one who is far or near and I will heal him. The Lord says, shalom, shalom. Double shalom. Total well-being, total well-being. Double, double. To you who've been crushed to the point you can't breathe. Have you ever been crushed to the point where you can't breathe? Have you ever been in an experience where something took your breath away and it wasn't good? It was all you could do to not just fall completely to pieces? Things that were never supposed to happen to you who believe the Bible and pray, and it did. God says, I don't just dwell up, I'm, I wanna live with people like you. The tenderness of Jesus is what we're trying to talk about here. The tenderness of Jesus can break us free forever and lead us. 
He takes handfuls of purpose and he lays them out in their path because as we walk toward those things, he is making us a testimony. The greatest testimonies in the world come from those who've come from trauma into the triumphant grace of Jesus. And the church world needs to model this and put out a mat of welcome for people so they know they are welcome in the arms of the Lord. I don't know if you know this or not. This has, been, this has touched me. We've had more than double uh, the, the online audience than the audience that's in attendance. And as, as far as I can see, there aren't many seats available in this room today uh, for those of you who aren't here. So we've had more than double the audience of viewers out in the, the cyberspace in this series. And I just want to greet you and let you know you're a part of our church. When I was a younger guy, I was watching TBN one night and Francis Frangipan, a pastor, I don't even know if he's still, I don't even know where he, but he said, he, it was at the beginning of the internet age and, and he said, you know, I'm just blown away. Uh, I am pastoring our church in California, but I'm pastoring a church in cyberspace and there are thousands of people out there and I can't even wrap my mind around it. We're not touching those numbers, but we've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and I mean, hundreds of people, more than are here on a weekly basis, watching, listening in. I think the Lord helped us to strike a chord. It's a sign that people are hurting and Jesus cares about them. Um, one of the key ways for us to walk through our trauma is to have an understanding of the Lord on the floor. Isaiah tells us he's in the, he's in the low with the lowly. There is a literal picture of this where Jesus actually does this. And it's deep, it's in John 13, we're gonna go there. Um, it's deep with meaning. Deep with meaning. It's relational. It's theological. Mind, it's theologically mind-blowing what Jesus does on the floor. The, the, the soteriology of it all is mind-blowing. But in the practical humanity of it, it's, it's, a, it's a moment that just changes us if we absorb it. It touches us, it moves us, it heals us. I want to take you there. In John 13, John says, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. In this phrase, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The, the phrase to the end is the Greek word tetelestai. It's only used one other time in the New Testament and it's used by John. Anybody know where it's used? Anyone? Huh? Exactly. When Jesus dies on the cross, he says, it is finished. The Greek word is tetelestai. What Jesus is saying on the cross is, I have brought this thing to an absolute, complete fulfillment. I've crossed the finish line with this. It's the same word John uses to describe how deeply he loves us. He loves us to the deepest Place. And then he models it in this action. He gets up from supper. He lays aside his outer clothing, which is symbolic of the incarnation and the kenosis where he empties himself of divine privilege, not divinity, divine privilege. And as a man and as a servant, he pours his life out in obedience to God. <clears throat> and passionate love for all of us, even to the point of crucifixion. 
And he's modeling this out on the floor. And he assumes the position of a slave and goes around to wash the feet of the disciples. Now these men are already positioned in a place of being right with God. Washing the feet does not save you. Washing the feet is allowing the Savior to really minister deep levels of healing to the saved. You have to get saved first. This is the picture of him taking a towel, ties it around himself, pours water in a basin, and began to wash the feet of the disciples and dry them with the towel tied around him. And we know the part, and he comes to Simon Peter, who asks him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Lord, are you going to assume a position that makes no theological sense to me? Are you going to presume a position before me and approach me from a place below me, it appears, where I am above you? Never. And Jesus says, what I'm doing you don't realize, but afterward you will understand. And he says, Peter says, you will never wash my feet. He pushes back. And Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no partnership with me. In other words, if you don't allow me to approach you from the floor in your life, you will never walk in this level of intimacy that you must have with me in order for me to use you in fullness and have, a, and have an understanding of the people that I'm sending you to because they're not up there. They're down here. And so what Peter does when he gets it, well then, well then, gully wash me, right? Well then, not just my feet, but my head and my hands. <clears throat> I, 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 I capture it like, like this in, in the next slide. We think we're honoring the Lord when we push back with these views of holiness in keeping God in a safe space so the world doesn't presume and assume that, that he can actually love them. You know, it comes across like this in my colleagues, and I've done it too. When someone in a sermon preaches only on the mercy of God, I can tell you if you have issues with the Lord on the floor and there's trauma issues from church abuse or a deep miss, miss uh, heaviness on the judgment side of God, which is legit, but if someone's preaching on mercy and love the whole time, you're, you're crawling in your skin because you're, you're never gonna find safety until, until the guy goes, now I don't mean that God isn't gonna judge people. I don't mean that you can live anyway. Do you ever, do you ever notice sometimes when, when, when you're talking about the love of God, you gotta make sure everybody knows. Everybody knows that you're not saying, hey, who's the invisible being that we feel like we've got to make sure we please by balancing out the act, by steadying the ark when God can't just be himself. You know what that is? It's trauma from inside the house. And he doesn't want that. When Jesus wants to be himself, that should be good enough for us. The reason why some of us have more secrets than revelations is because of this. From the top dogs and the big dogs to the little dogs and the puppies. From the big desks to the back rows. We honor the Lord by receiving what he's done for us not by pushing it away. We truly honor the Lord when we allow him to be who he is to us, not by trying to mold him into the image that makes us feel safe and our critics happy that we didn't go off the deep end and actually believe that Jesus loves us. We find healing by receiving what he wants to give, not by pushing him and it away. The only way to really get ground where we break the concrete out of the life of trauma 
is by allowing Jesus to approach us from the floor. Healing from trauma is the children's bread. When Peter says, not just my feet, but my hands and my head, Jesus says, a person who is completely washed only needs his feet washed. A person who's been saved, you're saved and you only need, but that only, that only, that only. There are deeply embedded things, friends, in many of our lives we don't know what to do with them because they're ugly and they're painful and they're deep and they're traumatic and they're hurtful. And we've watched the reaction of people in the crowds when ugly gets revealed and we see how they react to the ugly of others so we dare not bring out ours. You're looking at me like I'm from outer space. Am I from outer space? And you know what would be helpful? If people at the highest level of the districts would go first and get real with us too. Healing from trauma is the children's bread. And how we, how we begin to allow the Lord to come up from the floor. I want to <clears throat> talk about for the next few minutes how we position ourselves. We position ourselves with a willingness to receive tender words from Jesus to us. You may say, well, that's very elementary, Tim. Who doesn't want to receive the tender words of Jesus? I'm talking to traumatized people. I'm not talking to the healthy. I'm talking to the sick. I'm talking to people that trusted tender words and then got raped by the people that gave them. I'm talking to people that trusted tender words until they bludgeoned your soul with other kinds. I'm talking to people that went out on the limb and went out on the edge in the church world, outside of the church world, in relationship, in childhood, that after the tender came the trauma and the tragic I'm talking to those of you who have a million reasons why it's very difficult to receive tender words. The rest of you, I'm so thankful you're good. But Jesus sees the others and he's not moving the ship forward because he loves them just as much. We make an agreement with the Lord with a wholehearted invite like Simon, when the light bulb gets turned on that we need the tenderness of Jesus like never before. And it's not a weakness to admit that, it's a strength and it's heroic. You with me? So it's an approach like this to the Lord, not just my feet, but my head and hands saying this, I'll receive your tender words, God. Now, before you wonder if the Lord wants to do that, let me show you, 600 years before Jesus, God is all up and in about that. And he says this to Isaiah, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak how? Speak tenderly. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. What do you mean her hard service? This is 600 years out. He is speaking prophetically. The spirit of Christ is speaking to the prophet saying, hey, when I come, when I come and I do what I do, look, you can go ahead and start telling people what's gonna happen. Comfort them. Proclaim that her hard service has been completed, that her sin's been paid for, that she's received from the Lord's hand double. <clears throat> That's in 40. In 41, he goes on and he just goes deeper with it. Listen, uh, Lord, wash these words over my soul. The afflicted and needy are seeking water, but there is none. Their tongue is parched with thirst. I, the Lord myself, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I'll open rivers on the bare heights, springs in the valleys below. Isn't that beautiful? Then he says this. For those of you who've been left behind, for those of you who've been left to die, he says, for the Lord's calling you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit. 
He deeply cares for people that are grieved in spirit. For a brief moment, you were forsaken, but with great compassion, I'll gather you. Everlasting loving kindness and compassion will be to you. You will be like the days of Noah to me. This is God talking, folks. When I, when I swore the waters of Noah would never flood the earth again, so I swear, I, listen to this, I will never be angry with you again. Though the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, when you've been in trauma, that's what life feels like. I mean, when you, when you have said, my world is crumbling down, this is for you. When that is happening, I will not remove my loving kindness from you, nor my covenant of peace. Isn't that beautiful? Here's what I found out when you've been in this stuff. If there are berating voices in your mind, in your heart, they're never Jesus. Jesus never berates a blood-washed bride. Jesus never berates or scorns his sheep. According to Paul, in Ephesians 5, he nourishes and cherishes her to make her radiate, radiant. The words he brings, if I'm going to get healed of my trauma, I have to position myself to receive the tender words of Jesus. That's Jesus coming up from the floor. Have you ever heard the song? I wish I could sing it. I'll try. He speaks. And the sound of his voice is so sweet. The birds hush their singing. And the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing. And he walks with me and he talks with me. And what's he tell us? And he tells me and the joy we share as we tarry none other I sang that song when I was eight years old. First song I ever sang church in Memorial Heights Baptist Church Karen Plummer on the piano she wasn't very good <laughs> listen guys you superstars, uh, I'm not a sissy boy. I'm not a sissy boy. I've been through a lot of things. I've fought hell and I don't quit. I'm not crying because I'm a sissy boy. I'm crying because Jesus is so good. And, but uh, I sang that song. I didn't know him when I sang it. But it's true. None other. There's no other voice. There's no other voice like Jesus. And he will never berate you. He will never scorn you. So we say, Lord, not just my feet with your tender words, but my head and my whole being. Another one is uh, where I say, not just my feet, I will allow you to tend to me. Tending to us is tender, but it's, here's what he says, I will, I will, can you, got a couple minutes? Will you share this message with people? Not because of me, but because people need this. I will instruct you and show you the way to go with my eye on you. I will give counsel. 
Do not be like a horse or mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle or else it will not come near. Lord, not just my feet, but my tend to me. Here's another one. Not just my feet. I'll allow you to speak truth to me and me to you. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians, now it's, this is out of the passion. Now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given. Be transformed as you embrace the glorious truth of Christ. He created you all over again in his perfect righteousness. So discard every form of dishonesty and lying. Nobody I know wants to go around lying, but you know, sometimes when you're hurt real bad, you don't mean to, but you gotta craft, you have to craft just to survive. You have to craft, craft a false reality. I'm not saying it's right, but people do. And you can get locked in it. And God has to bust through there with reality that's scary and hard. But now remember, when he talks truth to us, it's tender, but it's tension specific. Has the Lord ever gotten too close to you? Yeah, for me. Tension specific. He allows environments to trigger and bring to surface things that we push aside. We put them off in Disneyland and Fantasyland and Tomorrowland and Yesterdayland and, and all these things and we, we can run to stuff we shouldn't run to. Look, I know we'd love to think and you know the whatabouts and the why nots and why do they and I just don't understand how a Christian could boppy boppy bop. You know why you don't understand? I'll give you the reason why, because you don't understand. I just don't understand. I know, honey, because you don't understand. You don't want God to put your feet in their feet so you can understand. You don't want that. So he creates scenarios to bring things to the surface. Remember, he goes to the man, 38 years he's been in a condition, he lays at a pool every day, and the Lord asks him a question. It sounds kind of insensitive. Do you want to get better? Well, on the surface, you could say, hey, you, I'm just talking like the world would talk and like none of us would, but there's people that would do this again. Hey, you idiot, what do you think I'm doing here? What do you, I'm at the healing crusade. What do you think? Do you want to get well? You know what he says? The guy says, I'm not putting the guy down. First thing he says, shows you he's not better. I don't have anybody who will. You're still on the anybody's and everybody's. And in some of us, it's that no one will help me. It's another, they, 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 they. When you need healing, there's a they and a you. And when you're on your way to healing, there's a we. There's no longer the they's, there's the we. The woman at the well's different though. Jesus says to her, I've got a gift for you. So go call your husband and come back. She didn't play. She didn't pretend. She didn't go, okay, I'll go try to find him. He might be at work. I don't know if I can reach him. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you told me the truth. The woman who touched his robe, she had suffered for years and lost everything with an issue of hemorrhaging out of her being that made her have to declare to people when she was bleeding that, that people wouldn't get her. Imagine it. Can you imagine it? Wonder what church she was welcome in. You know, we got that vote thing, favorite place to worship. You know what? We got to live up to that. But when she touched his robe and got better, Jesus stops and said, who touched me? She comes to him and it's very, very interesting. <clears throat> I think it's Mark or Luke. It says, and she told him the whole truth. She told him the whole truth. When truth is growing in my life, I'm healing in my life. But you know what, you know what church, in this church, I would, 
I love this church. I tell my colleagues, I'd go to this church if I wasn't pastoring. Why? Because this is a good place. If you fell on your butt, they'd still love you. That's not the only good thing about a church. We gotta be right and truthful and all that. But listen, it's easier to reveal when you know on the other side of reveal, people are still gonna be there in covenant with you. Truth is growing in my life. Healing's growing in my life. Freedom is building my life. And the good thing about Jesus is he gives us the grace space. And I want our church to be like that where we give the grace space and create time for people to get it out in the open with the Lord and with each other. I have this quote I heard uh, Dr. Brene Brown at Catalyst many, many moons ago. And she said this, when we own our story, we get to write our ending. When we deny it, we are owned by it. And you think, well, I'm not in denial. One of the easiest places to be in denial is in the world of the church. How you doing? We quote some scripture. Once again, wrong roads are when we, can, we just keep moving away, we keep shrinking back and we disappear. Another wrong road is we can move toward the same kind of cycles, never seeing it until we see it. And, or we can fight, just fight, fight it. If the band can come up, this is where the magic happens. I love all these people. Here's what David said. Surely you desire truth in the inner self. You with me? And you teach me wisdom deep within. By the way, David is writing this in his journal after he's committed adultery and conspired to commit murder and was successful. Okay? That can kind of wreck the ministry. And David writes, surely you desire truth in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. And here's what he prayed. And you know what? God does this for him. Again, who wrote this? What, did he, what had he done? You know what he wrote? And if you read the story, there was a lot of hurt after this. But God does these things that he writes. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. You do not want a sacrifice. You can't pay back for what you've done. You don't have to. God's done it. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to you, God, ready, is a broken. God still loves the broken spirit, people. He takes these broken, massively messed up situations You can't mess it up worse than what King David did. You can't mess it up worse than that. And the Lord picks him out, not to justify one bit of it. If you read his story, it's hell on earth after. But he says, he uses this guy and he says, I'll do it for you too. Just bring your broken spirit to me. I care. I wrote this this morning. For some reason unknown to me, we've had double, triple the viewing audience in this series (laughs) in comparison to those in attendance. Perhaps it's the, the subject matter. And then I wrote this for you. If you're viewing somewhere out there, I want you to know that although I don't know you, Jesus knows you. If you've been caught... If you've fallen back into cycles, if someone met you at a door and told you that they were done with you and you don't know where to go anymore, if you're a kid that goes to a church and your parents fight all the time and you come to youth group and nobody knows it and you got no one to tell, You're a guy struggling in the ministry. You know you can't you can't call the 800 number. Call Jesus's number. Call his number. 
Some, someone put a book on my desk a couple weeks ago. And I, I didn't get to read it yet. But you said that the, this series helped you and you shared part of your story with me. There were people that can't tell their story, people. There are people in our churches that can't tell their story because it's not in the trophy room yet. It's in the, it's in the muck and the processes. They don't fit the victory club and they need a safe place and a safe church and a safe brother and sister. You're welcome in my circle, friend. And it's with great hope in my heart that I believe you experience the tender healing touch of Jesus just like I want to because he's awesome. Do you believe that, church? Can I just, can I just close with, with this? We're going to open the altars. Uh, we open the altars for uh, sinners, sons, daughters, deacons, Roman Catholic cardinals, I wrote this on January 23rd a year ago in the midst of stuff. I wrote, and I read this, I read this just to honor you, Lord. What a, what a friend I found in my Jesus. What a friend. You can come in closer, as close as you'd like to come because I always need a guide, a Lord, a King, a Savior. But boy, do I really need a friend. I hear you're the friend of sinners, not just sons. Communicating, relating with you, as you know, living with us on this side, you know how jacked up we all are and can be. I don't know how to relate to you as a friend. I know how to call you the Holy One and I know how to get on my face. But Lord, I don't want to play act. I don't want to talk to an image of you I make out of what I think you want me to think you are and then added all the religious what about counters when I say you're a friend. It's so frustrating, so repelling. It so weakens my heart climb to you being a part of such a culture. What a friend I have in you, Jesus. I mean the Bible, Jesus. With me. The Bible, Jesus, with me. Me? That was the first joy awakening I had at 17 at that altar. I came out of that Wesleyan church completely aware of a love I've never known. It was just the beginning. The taste that nothing or no one has ever matched since, ever. I tasted the powers of the ages to come. I experienced you. I experienced the Simon Peter's Jesus. Then the unfolding of your life in the word. The honey, the bread. Lord, on this morning, I can't find it. I preach it. I believe it. Without you, there is no vine. Without you, talk means nothing. Without the, the message is just a man. Even the insights are empty. The accolades, the well-dones, you're a great this or that, they're meaningless. 
apart from friendship with you. And I left it on this morning saying, please find me. Please help me to know I'm found. And then I wrote, Bier Lahoi Roy, which means the well of the living one who sees me. You ever felt like that? I tell you, I was telling a friend today that just told me that they were told in six months they won't have a job anymore. And they're traumatized and they love the Lord, but boy, that hits you. What are you going to do? And I just said, I'm with you. I don't. People have said to me, I would have liked to go out and prayed for somebody, but I didn't know what to say. You know what? The worst thing to do sometimes is to say. People don't want you to say, they just want you to stay. Lord, in a minute we're opening the altars and we say not just our feet, but our head and our hands. And I say to my brothers and sisters here what you told me to say. He suffered everything for you so that you and I might be healed and overcome everything. Do you believe that? Heavenly Father, draw us with cords of loving kindness to deeper places today where you wash not only our feet, but our hands and our head. I pray for the, those that are too afraid to even move, but you're touching them and they won't move. May they not feel condemned by it, but may what you're impacting in their life hold greater weight than any other thing that has happened or will happen until they testify of the great things of Jesus in their life. We open the altars to you, Lord. Do what you do in Jesus' name.